Welcome to Tilly's Trans Tuesdays. It's time to dive into one of the most ambitious topics I've tackled. This year I fell completely in love with the show on Apple TV, and at least part of that is due to the unintentional trans allegory of Silo. Hi, I'm Tilly Bridges, your host, and I'm joined by my writing partner, my best friend, my wife, our token cis representation, the star I steer my ship by, Susan Bridges. Hello! Our guest this week is Samantha Cuddy, a wife, mother, geek, corporate queer, and cat herder. She and her wife, Anna, have a daughter entering first grade this year, along with four cats. The cats aren't going to first grade. No. Okay. As much as they would want to. (laughs) (laughs) They live in Western New York, where she's a manager in a program planning organization for an aerospace company. She's a geek who loves Star Trek, Star Wars, Babylon 5, and pretty much most things sci-fi and fantasy. Oh, and one more minor detail. In 2020, while doom-scrolling during COVID, she came across a certain webcomic, Maydeen's Epiphany, that led to realizations about how she felt all her life, and in 2021, she came out publicly as transgender. Welcome, Samantha. Thank you. Lovely to be here. So, yeah, Maydeen, huh? We had her on a while back, and yeah, that that comic has cracked so many eggs. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, and I am counted as one of them. As a middle-aged person, I'll phrase it that way, it was actually one of the most relatable descriptions of transition that I had inadvertently come across. And I was like, like, oh, oh, (laughs) right. Wait a minute. Oh, why do I identify with this? Yeah. (laughs) Why am I thinking about this way too much here all of a sudden? Oh. (laughs) Okay, well, I should mention to the listeners out there that this is gonna this is the first part of a nine part series, and so these intros are gonna be a little different. I'm gonna space out the standard questions that I ask of our guests, and after those, we're just gonna dive right into the discussion because at that point, we still won't even be halfway through. So, Samantha, I want to start off by asking you what your initial reaction to Silo was. Did you pick up on any of of the transness that we'll be talking about soon? I definitely did. It was one of those shows that, particularly in the first couple of episodes, where there was one scene in particular which we will get to there. Yeah. That I just, it was like, I almost just sat up and was like, that's the experience. Right. That is what's happening here. And I'm kind of almost half wondering, like, is this intentional? In, unintentional? Is it part of the common experience of humanity of that we as trans people also heavily uh, respond to there so the show definitely had that energy and then when i saw other people commenting it on that yourself included i'm like yes it's not just me yeah it's always nice when other people see it too but that's you know why we're going to be talking about it because it has i think a lot of really amazing trans stuff in it 
And I want to help other people see that too. So, but we're going to get to there in a minute. Before we do though, I wanted to ask you, for you, what has been the best thing about transitioning? Oh, that is a very tough question there. Well, that's a tough question because even though I kind of thought about this question for a while, I'm kind of having a pause for a second to read, <laughs> to think of it over. That's okay. Yeah, it is yeah. fundamentally being myself for the first time in my entire, just about 40 years worth of living on this world of being myself, both mentally and physically. Yeah. As we, you've talked about before, transition is a lot, is a journey. It's a process. And over the years, since I've started my medical transition, like it's, I see myself in the mirror for the first time lately. And also I feel myself. It's made me being able to be myself has made me, I will openly say like a better person, a better spouse, a better parent. Yeah, a better employee, even so to speak, a better person all, all around, because I'm no longer trying to pretend to be somebody or follow rules of this is what we classified you as when you were born, and even though it is contradictory to what you internal feel. Yeah, it's amazing how much different just existing is when. Like you said, you don't have to pretend or you don't have to try to pretend to be somebody that you're not and you're not worrying about all of those, these rules and these things. And if you're going to give something away and also just when dysphoria even lessens a little bit, you don't realize how much of your like mental capacity is taken up by how awful it makes you feel. And so when it starts to go away, even just a little bit, it's amazing what life becomes. You're just so much more open to things and can experience things you never could before. And it's been really magical for me too. And that mirror thing too, especially, right? The first time you see that, you're like, oh my God, what is happening? Yeah. Especially recently, I, a couple months ago, had top surgery and seeing myself in the mirror, seeing myself in pictures, it's like, this is how I should have been. This is yeah. how it's, this is right. This is me. And this is, so happy it's like it's almost hard to describe put into words of for the first time kind of feeling like you're no longer being forced into the wrong shaped peg but you're like this is me it's beautiful and it's something that i hope every trans person out there gets to experience and also i'm a little jealous that cis people just get that like their whole lives <laughs> you don't even have to try you just see yourself in the mirror all the time ah jealous okay where can people find you online after listening? Where I'm most active is on Mastodon. My username there is reborn underscore cat underscore mom at chaosfem.tw reborn r-e-b-o-r-n underscore c-a-t underscore m-o-m at c-h-a-o-s-f-e-m dot t-w. I do have presences on other networks, but I'm kind of in this stage of trying to figure out what my social media profile looks like, Yeah, what I've been looking to maybe rebuild, so to speak, so well, just because like some of them like are carryovers from the before yeah. times. Right. And it's kind of like, it's even two, three years in, I'm still kind of assessing on the, like, what am I doing here kind of thing. Yeah. Understandable. Okay, so somebody, 
and I can't remember who, I feel very bad about this. If this is you and you're listening, please let me know. But somebody recently called my trans allegory deep dives Tilly Vision, and frankly, I think that's pretty dang great. So welcome to the next installment of Tilly Vision, my friends. Before we go any further, let me say that this entire exploration is criticism and allowed by the WGA strike. This is a celebration of a show that meant a lot to me and was made by real human beings, incredibly talented writers and actors and directors and crew. Please support the people who make the media you love, because writers shouldn't have to have two or three jobs to get by, and over 80% of actors make less than $26,000 a year. That's barely a third of the annual cost of living in Los Angeles. If you'd like to help writers, actors, and crew get through the strike financially, please visit the Entertainment Community Fund. There will be a link in the show notes. Also, I'm not sure everyone realizes what an undertaking writing these trans allegory explorations are. So a little information for you. Not counting my first watch, which was just for entertainment and writerly reasons. I didn't know this was going to be really trans. The rewatch was 10 episodes that took two hours each to watch due to stopping and taking notes. And Susan watched them with me while I was doing that. And she was very patient with me. Thank you. Uh Yeah. So already that's 20 hours. It then took me about 12 hours to convert those notes into a readable form for release. So that's 32 hours of work. And then I had to revise and tweak and prep for the podcast versions. That took about another five hours. And that's all before posting the social media and text versions and before recording the podcast versions, which is like another five to seven hours. It's like 45 hours of work. So what I'm saying is I really hope you appreciate these because they are a massive undertaking and a huge time sink. Whew. Before we dive in, I want to warn you that there are going to be tons of spoilers because I'm going to talk about every episode from the entire first season. If you haven't yet seen it and want to experience it first on your own, read no further, listen no further, go no further. Unlike my most well-known example of discussing trans allegories in the media, The Matrix, those essays became a book, begin transmission, the trans allegories of The Matrix, get your copy now. I believe Silo's allegory is unintentional, maybe. I will specifically be talking only about the Silo show on Apple TV+. To the best of my knowledge, showrunner Graham Yost, the other writers on season one, and Hugh Howey, the author of the books the show is based on, are not trans. But, as I like to remind you when talking about these things, there may be trans people involved who aren't out yet or might not even know they're trans yet, which means the allegory could be them intentionally working through complicated gender feelings without realizing. But... It's also perfectly possible that there really are no trans people involved with it, yet it is still incredibly trans, because as I like to remind you, trans stories are human stories, and we're all more alike than not. This happens all the time. If you'd like to see examples of other trans allegories in media, some intentional and some probably intentional, but maybe not, see the intentional trans allegory of Real Genius, which has four parts. You can see the intentional trans allegory of The Little Mermaid's Part of Your World, and the intentional trans allegory of the Twilight Zone's nervous man in a $4 room. Unlike the write-ups on The Matrix, Real Genius, and Nervous Man, I'm not going to use timestamps. I'm covering an entire season of 10 episodes, and I felt it would just be too confusing. The basic gist of my trans reading of the show is that people who are sent out to clean and the flame keepers are trans people. The society of the silo is conveniently the society that we trans people are born into here in the real world. So let's look at some of the characters. 
Juliet is a trans person waking up to their transness and the way the entire system of society is stacked against us, lies to us, oppresses us, and then figuring out what to do about it. Billings is a stealth trans person represented through his having and hiding the syndrome. He has a condition of birth that will get you otherized by society, and so he does everything he can to hide it. Walk is a closeted trans person. She's trans and knows it and is afraid of coming out because of how people will react. Gloria is pseudo-closeted. She's quote-unquote not trans, but everyone suspects she is, even though she never transitioned. She spends her life trying to help others transition because she was never able to. George is a trans person trying to learn about themselves and why they never heard the word transgender before and why are trans people so quote-unquote new. He uncovers the truth of our history and does what he can to make things better for those who come after. Regina and also Billings' wife are spouses or family of trans people who lose some of the things trans people lose due to their association with us. They blame us for the ostracization they face rather than transphobic society and place their grief over our needs. Lucas is a trans person in denial. He has questions, but his fear rules him and he's forever an agent of the system. He feels he can only be who he's told to be, and he's a pick-me who sells out his people in an effort to be quote-unquote one of the good ones. Spirals are everywhere in the show, symbolizing bringing order from chaos. They're the literal backbone of society, which you see in the central staircase, which draws allusions to the spine and even DNA in the opening credits. And they work incredibly well. Because Bernard and most of the silos' residents, transphobic society, think they're preserving their society by trying to control and stamp out transness, and they see that as order from the quote-unquote chaos of trans existence. But we trans people are the ones actually bringing order from chaos when we discover that it's the world that's broken and not us, and we fix that by choosing to transition. The spirals are actually ours, and they appropriated them, and dang, that happens to us all the time. Water is also really important in the ways characters are terrified of it and yet also in awe of it. It symbolizes dysphoria in the way I myself have described my own gender dysphoria as being akin to drowning. See the Trans Tuesday on that. And you can even see how author Maya Dean wrote dysphoria in a similar way in her remarkable novel, Wrath Gotta Sing, also my favorite novel ever, where she writes about it as being trapped at the bottom of a well. I have a two-part interview with her that was done with Trans Tuesdays that you can also check out. And if you think fearing the water and dysphoria makes sense but aren't sure why someone would be in awe of it at the same time, let me hit you with this. Dysphoria is horrific and terrible, but once you realize you have it, you know that you're trans and that knowledge brings answers. There's so much more on this and it's used in really brilliant ways. However, I do want to include a little disclaimer. The allegory is imperfect. It doesn't work quite the way The Matrix or even Real Genius did, where the trans creators were putting their lived experiences and feelings into their work with intent, be it conscious or subconscious. Also, because the allegory is less clean, if you'll forgive the word choice when talking about Silo, not everything that applies to the allegory for one character works for the other characters. For example, the syndrome is analogous to physical attributes you're trying to hide so nobody knows you're trans, but not everyone who represents different kinds of trans people or culture have the syndrome. Make sense? Anyway, there are big bits of transness all over in many different ways that mean a lot to me, and it's got fabulous things to say. So come along on this journey, and let's see what Silo has to say about trans existence. I think you're gonna dig it.
time to silo up, which I put in here because I mentioned it to Samantha here in one of our little chats talking about the prep for this. And she said I should put it in. So I did. Okay. I made it in. <laughs> so before we dive into talking about episode one, Samantha, I want to get your thoughts on the characters. Like, were there any that really spoke to you in ways like that or, you know, in terms of transness or things that you really identified with? Yeah. So like, I'm trying to not jump ahead to some of this, but like, but yeah, I kind of feel like the whole show's journey for a lot of the characters is about self. It's about discovery. Yeah. About finding out what is happening in the society that they've been raised in. And in some cases, how they've reacted to it, such as, light spoiler, Julianne and her, and her relationship to her family. Yeah. And Billings with the syndrome. Because Billings with the syndrome, like, that resonated because hiding it, only confiding to his significant other, worried about how society would think of him, what it would mean yeah. for his position in society and what his goals were. So I, I certainly resonate with a lot of this. And also Julia as well with her chosen profession of where she started and where she ended and then where she ended up over the course of the silo. Yeah. All right. So let's dive into talking about episode one. You can see right away that the world is old. The entire aesthetic, which I love, is really retro-futuristic. If you've watched the entire season, you know this is purposeful in story. There is more advanced technology available, but only to those at the top of the power structure. They're intentionally holding the rest of society back and not allowing them to access it or to technologically advance. They only care about what benefits them. We see Holston putting his badge on. He's in a position of authority and he's respected within the silo as part of its power structure. He puts flowers in front of the mirror, adjusts the vent. As we learn later, both of these things are in prep for Juliet. We'll talk more about those later. I bring this up now because given where he's headed, I want you to understand that he's doing this to prepare for the future, for those who are coming up and out after him. It's part of why he's doing what he's doing. Holston. We do not know why we are here. We do not know who built the silo. We do not know why everything outside the silo is as it is. We do not know when it will be safe to go outside. We only know that that day is not this day. We hear those lines several more times throughout the show. They speak to me of trans people not knowing why we're trans or why society hates us or why it feels so dangerous to come out and not knowing when it will ever change. And, you know, I wanted to also say there's like a reverence in those words yeah. for a lack of knowledge. A little bit, yeah, in the performance, you're right. They don't know and they're proud of it. Yeah, that society has raised them that way to not ask these questions. Right. Yeah. This is where something first sparked in my brain on my first watch because, huh, yeah, that sure sounds like a description of someone early on in their transition journey who maybe just discovered their trans and is terrified of what that means. Holston misses his wife, who he lost. In allegory, I don't think these deaths from people being sent out are really deaths, but they're symbolic of losing people due to refusing to accept them. When Allison came out as trans, Holston shunned her along with all of society. And so she was cast out of the silo and thus out of society for being different from everyone else, for wanting to know the truth that trans is just how some people are and a totally fine and normal way to be. 
And he went along with it because that's what society taught him to do. Holston. I should have done it three years ago, but I couldn't listen. Allison tried to tell him. We see it in the flashbacks, but he couldn't listen. And this is exactly what happens to so many trans people when we come out. Even our spouses can refuse to hear and understand. Martins. You're going to say this to me after all we've been through. I don't want you to say it. Please don't say it. Look how Martins puts his feelings first, which is what so many cis people do when trans people come out. How could you do this to me? Why aren't you thinking about me? Please don't say you're trans. If you don't say it, we can all pretend it's not true and keep on living a lie and not rocking the boat just like society wants. See the Trans Tuesday on Cis Grief for more on that. I just want to say something here. Like when you watch this scene and I have to give so much credit to the actors of this. Yeah. Like the reactions are night and day. Holstrom, you can visibly see him just relax. He is speaking his truth. He is coming out. Yeah. It's like a weight is just lifted from his shoulders and he's ready for whatever happens within the context of the show. He knows he's going to have to be sent out to clean. But within the allegory, it's this is him coming out. Right. Whereas Mons is like almost freaking out and sad and stressing out over what this means for him. Like, and it's him recontextualizing the entire relationship he's had with Holston his entire life, which resonates so much with coming out. Like, I still remember the feeling of when I hit send on a message or I told somebody on the yeah. phone or in person and it's just like, it's done. The truth is out. Yeah. It's in their court now. It's a big weight off your shoulders, but then you don't know how they're going to respond. Mm -hmm. You're left yeah. waiting. Exactly. And sometimes it goes well, and sometimes it does not go well. But that is not something that is the fault of the person coming out. Right. That is solely the reaction and ownership of the person responding. Exactly right. And this is a recurring theme of this show that I want to say you're going to see this come up again and again, this cis grief. And you're going to see so many more examples of it. So keep listening because there's lots more on that to come. In the flashback, we see Holston and Allison are waiting to get permission to reproduce. And this connects directly to trans people and the gender-affirming healthcare we need, hormone replacement therapy and surgeries. And a lot of the time, we still need permission from cis people to get those things. See the Trans Tuesday on trans kids and the intake exam to learn how I had to prove my transness and that I'm a woman to a cis person before I could get transition care. This is also about bodily autonomy and who has control over our bodies. And yes, in the story, it's about reproduction. But if the people who go out and the flame keepers are trans people in this reading, and they are, there's much more evidence to come. Then that fight for bodily autonomy becomes about us having the right to transition to our true selves because there are bodies and we have the right to the medical care we need, just as anyone with a uterus does for reproductive rights. I've talked many times about how the fight for abortion rights and the fight for trans rights are the exact same thing, by the way. See the Trans Tuesday on Trans Rage for what it's like when we're completely forgotten about when people talk about these incredibly important topics. And also see the Trans Tuesday on bodily autonomy to see what it's like living a life where your body never feels like it's yours or you have any control over it. As a parent, 
who had a child pre-transition and then transitioned a few years after my child was born, the difference in body autonomy is so stark. Like trying to, if you want to get pregnant, no questions asked, you get the treatments, you do X, Y, Z, whatever. But the minute you want to start getting trans care, oh, no, you need mental health letters. You need yeah. to get our permission. Yep. And there are a lot of places in society where, you know, a lot of people don't have bodily autonomy that they should have. Yeah. Like, I think it's something like one in six hospital beds in this country are Catholic. Right. So you can't even get, like, your tubes tied right. at a Catholic they won't hospital because they just won't. Yeah. And it's like, why do you get to make that decision for me? Exactly. Yeah. Or like some surgeons who offer certain services will treat a cis person, no questions asked, but a uh, trans person, nope, we are not I am not touch I am not touching a trans person. Yeah. Even with letters. Like, nope, that's I am not I'm not touching that. And I hate phrasing it that way. Or you need or like, you need to go through the letters. But it's like the difference between like the ease of getting care is stark if not in so much so difficult mm-hmm. yeah and it's over and over again it's never over yeah we never hit a point where it's like yep they're gonna do what we want now right nope this is a it's an ongoing battle well this entire section in that flashback that sequence about allison and holston trying to have a baby is just to show you they need cis society permission to do what they wanted with their own bodies Thank you for being here, Samantha. We have so much more to go. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Next time, we're going to wrap up episode one because it goes way deeper. So deep, in fact, it will take all of part two just to finish the pilot episode. Subsequent episodes go a bit faster, but the pilot lays so much groundwork. There's a lot more to discuss. Tilly Bridges and Transmission. Tilly's Trans Tuesdays is hosted by Tilly Bridges and Susan Bridges with audio editing and sound mixing by Gillian Morgan. Special thanks to Daisy and Jane for the use of Sorry Not Sorry as our show's theme music. Please stop by and show your support at daisyandjane.bandcamp.com and soundcloud.com slash daisyandjane. You can find me at Tilly Bridges on Twitter and Hive, on Mastodon at tillybridges at mastodon.social, at facebook.com slash Tilly S. Bridges and on Insta at Heck Yeah Tilly Bridges. And you can find Susan on all of those at Susan L. Bridges. The Google Doc and social media versions of this week's topic and all past topics are available at Tilly'sTransTuesdays.com. For more information, visit PendantAudio.com. Thanks for listening.